Good morning. We, uh, today we are continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, and we're calling this uh, sermon series New Hope, New Joy. And uh, that is because I, I think as we, as we work our way through Luke, there is so many examples and so many... Eric, Eric your wife is over here. Just to help you out. <laughs> uh, um, Danielle's usually here, and so I understand. Um, uh, but in, uh, so we're going through Luke, and uh, and it's new hope and new joy. And we look at the example of Jesus, and we look at his teachings, and it really gives us an opportunity to uh, to be inspired, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to have new hope and new joy. And sometimes I think that's exactly what we need. Maybe it's new hope and new joy for the first time that we have never received uh, Christ, but yet, and, and when we receive Him into our lives, it, it transforms us from the inside out. But I also know that sometimes we, ha- we can walk a long time with the Lord and need new hope, and new joy. And maybe this morning some of you come into this room and, uh, and you think about the circumstances of your life and you think about the, the relationships of, of what's going on and, and maybe you even just think about where your own spirit is, where you're at within your own heart. And this morning you need a new hope and new joy. And my prayer is that as we look at God's Word, that, that God would do exactly that. And so I'm excited to dig into God's Word because we've been going through Luke for two months now. And, uh, and so far, what we have been looking at are things that happened to Jesus, like His birth and then His uh, baptism and, and the wilderness temptations. And then we have looked at some of the things that Jesus started to do and, and uh in resisting temptation and, and calling his disciples to be his followers. And, begun, and we've begun to look at some of the healings that he did. But this morning is the first time we actually dig in to some of his teaching. And Jesus' teaching is amazing. In fact, over, over again in the Bible, it says that when Jesus taught the people, they would walk away astonished. They were amazed because Jesus' teaching had such authority. It had such power to meet them right where they were at and to change their whole perspective on life. Jesus' teaching has an amazing way of doing that not only 2,000 years ago, but in our uh, lives as well. The Gospel of Luke, more than any of the other Gospel writers, emphasizes the, the words of Jesus. In fact, I did a little calculation. There are 1,151 verses in Luke, and of those verses, 568 of them contain the words of Jesus. That's almost almost exactly half of all of the words in the book of Luke are Jesus' words uh, himself. And Jesus' words have authority in our lives. Jesus' teachings are authoritative and have the power to change our lives. And so that's why it is so good for us to dig into this, because God's Word can make a major difference in our lives. So I encourage you every day to be in God's Word, to be reading it for yourselves. I encourage us as we come together as a church that we're uh, we're grounded in Scripture, because God's words 
have authority authority and have the power to change our lives. And the teaching that we're looking at from Jesus this morning is on relationships. How many of you would love to have God's Word and God's authority in your life in the relationships that you have? For God to transform your marriage or your relationship with your kids or the, or the relationship that you have with someone at work or with a friend. And God's words, Jesus' teachings on relationships are powerful. And so we're going to look at this in, uh, the, in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. But all of these verses hang on the first three words. The essence of Jesus' teaching in this passage can be summed up with these three words. Do not judge. Do not judge. If we rightly understand and apply those words, just right there we have the essence of what can transform our relationships with others. Do not judge. These words, uh, the, these words have the power to transform our hearts and uh, relationships that we have with other people. Now, oftentimes, I think we are not good at judging. In fact, we are very good at criticizing others. We are very good at writing people off quickly. We're very good at making assumptions about people without really knowing their heart or their intent. We're very good at withholding grace from people. We're good at holding grudges against them. In other words, we're very good at judging people, but we're not very good at resisting that temptation to judge them. It's almost that it's like it's, it's hardwired in our hearts and our minds. And if we were to put a video up here of all of the things in your life that you would not want people to see, the private moments, I bet a lot of them relate to you judging someone either to their face or behind their back. And these have serious consequences on our hearts, uh, peace and joy and hope. We talk about new hope and new joy. It has serious consequences on, on what is within our heart. It has serious consequences on our relationship with others. And it has serious consequences on our relationship with God. And so these words that Jesus gives on not judging others have tremendous value for us, if we rightly understand them. Because I think, to be honest, many times these, uh, these words, this teaching of Jesus is misunderstood if we rightly apply them. And so we want to talk about that together. Let's read, let's read it in context to, to really be able to rightly understand it and be re- able to rightly uh, apply it. We have to see what Jesus says in context. This is Luke 6, 37 through 42. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes, in your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's pray. Father God, now as we uh, really begin to dig into your word this morning, I pray that you would uh, help us to understand and apply these words to our lives. Help us to uh, be able to um, have your teaching. These are words from Jesus, and so may you be our teacher. And uh, even as these verses say, uh, everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And so we pray that you would train us by your words, that you would help us to be like Jesus and impress these words upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, yes, Darren, I'm sorry, yeah. What, come on up here, what's your problem? Oh, I think I have... A speck of sawdust you, in my you eye. You have a speck yeah. of sawdust in your eye. Okay, let me, I'll get that out. Hang on. I'm very good at taking sawdust uh, out of people's that's eyes. That's a weird, uh, that's a weird <laughs> yeah, no, skill. No, come here, come here. Actually, I'll help you. I feel I'll, like I'll you help have you. something in your own yeah, eye. Yeah, no, no, don't worry about this. No, I'm not, like, let me get my tools oh, here. Oh, Hang your depth perception seems yeah. bad. Uh, no, um, no, no. I'm you gonna, know what? I'm very good at taking sawdust out. Hang on. Oh, oh, okay. No, okay, no, you know, I, I'm going to go, go, go somewhere else. Okay. okay. You know, okay. Well, if you need help, let me know. So I'm very good at taking sawdust out. Now, I'm glad we can laugh about that because that is almost word for word the parable that Jesus gives us here, right? A brother comes and uh, wants to have sawdust taken out of his eye. And he says, someone with a plank, how can someone with a plank take a piece of sawdust out of someone else's eye? And I think Jesus is being humorous here. In fact, I have a feeling that when the, when the uh, original hearers heard this story, many of them were laughing because it is a very ridiculous uh, scene. Someone with a little speck of sawdust in his eye and someone else with a big board sticking out of his own eye is going to try to get that piece of sawdust out. I think this is, this is meant to be humorous because it is meant to teach us how foolish we are sometimes in the way we treat one another. We are tr here trying to criticize someone else. Hey, you got that little thing wrong in your own life when we don't take time to recognize the things that are in our own lives. We're trying to help everybody else and we're becoming so critical. We're judging and we're condemning and we're not forgiving and we're doing all the things that he talks about here. And that is a huge plank in our eye. And he says, how can you do that? How can you be a Christian witness? How can you help others with the little things in their lives when you've got all of these other things that are, that are, that are protruding out of your life? that are blinding your vision, that are helping you see others in the way that God sees them. And what Jesus is challenging us here with this, with this silly little illustration is to open our eyes, to see how foolish we've been, to be able to look in our own hearts and to recognize that we need to come before all of these things, especially relationships with others, with a lot of humility and a lot of grace so that we can begin to 
share the love of Jesus with others in such a way that they are able to receive it. Because if our lives are so full of, uh, so full of harshness and, uh, and unkindness, then, the other, then others are not going to be able to receive the love of God because we've got that big sin sticking out of our own life. When Jesus tells this story, he, he says, uh, You hypocrites, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Two, two things, well, one observation, and then I want to talk about the word hypocrite there for a minute. But first of all, the first thing I want to say is Jesus never says, don't help your uh, brother with the speck in his eye. You see, that was, that's the first way we can misapply this passage. We can begin to think that what it means to not judge is to not ever say anything. To not ever be able to enter into someone's life and say, let me actually help you with that speck in his eye. He does not say that. He says that we are supposed to help our brother or sister. But we are to do it with a certain attitude. There is a sense of humility that starts with a sense of self-examination. To be able to come uh, with, with a broken heart ourselves before we try to uh, help someone else with their broken lives. That's my first observation. But now let me talk about this, uh, this word that Jesus says to those. He says, you hypocrites. Hypocrites, to, to be a hypocrite would be, the, would be the title that Jesus would give someone that would be, I mean, this, this was a serious accusation. This is a deep and cutting assessment of their lives. To be a hypocrite is to say one thing and to do another. And how oftentimes as Christians are we accused of being hypocrites? And sometimes it's around this whole issue of judging others. And people will come to us and say, how, how can you judge me? I know somewhere in the Bible it says, do not judge. You have no right to say that to me. Now, I'll just, just, let, just to let you know, here's the place. They have no idea where it's found or who says it. It's Luke uh, 6.37, and it's the words of Jesus himself. But it is a, uh, it's a hard assessment for our own lives. If, we, if, what, if the way that we are being interpreted is as hypocrites ourselves. And so it starts with self-reflection. I'm not saying that that criticism is fair. It may be very unfair, but it ought to give us pause to continue to examine our hearts and our lives to see how we can line up with Jesus' teaching more and more. And so let's go and look in, in uh, detail at what Jesus teaches us here. We see the first thing that he says is, do not judge. Now, as I said, this is easily misunderstood and so I wanted to go to a commentary that has way more knowledge on these things than I do. Joel Green, who is a professor at Fuller Seminary down the road in Pasadena, uh, has written a commentary looking at the Greek uh, language that this was originally written in. And this is what he says. And it's not too technical, but it's very helpful. He says, just as the merciful God, just as the merciful God does not predetermine that's a key word. Say that with me. Predetermine. Just as the merciful God does not predetermine who will or will not be recipients of his kindness, so Jesus' followers must refuse 
to judge. That is to prejudge, to predetermine who might be the recipients of his grace. And so when we think of judging, what we are saying is we have, we have already assumed something about someone else. To judge is to assume things about a person based on their past, appearance, or personality. It is to, in, in some ways, it is to assume the worst. To not judge is to give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but too often we judge by, we look at someone or we examine their lives and we look at the past experiences and what they have been through and we will size them up and write them off. Or we look at the way they, uh, the, the way they appear and their clothes they wear or the way they look or how old they are or how young they are or their skin color or whatever it is and we size them up and we write them off. Or we look at their personality and we just think, I don't like that type of person. That's, or it reminds us of someone else that we knew that was similar to that person. And it's very unfair to size them up and to write them off. To judge someone is to take preconceived ideas and not to give them the benefit of the doubt. But rather to size them up and to write them off. And then Jesus goes on to say, do not condemn and to condemn is very similar. To condemn is to classify someone as less than or worthless. To, to put them in a camp. To put them in a box. To say, you know what? You are like this. And so you're, not, uh, you're, you're less than I am. You're, uh, and, we, and we say, and we... Don't give them any room for grace, but they say, what we label them, and we put them in a group, and we write them off. The New Living Translate, Translation uh, translates this part of verse 37 this way. Stop criticizing others, or it will all come back to you. Criticism and condemnation are like two sides of the same coin. Those that we have labeled, we criticize. And those that we criticize, we begin to put in a box. And that is why criticism is so dangerous. I know a lot of people like to, and I'm this way, uh, quote-unquote, vent. Venting is a very dangerous activity. Because what you are doing is you're, you're, you're beginning to share with someone all of your frustrations and your disappointments in this person or that person. And what's happening is you're solidifying your opinion of that person or of that group of, of people in your mind. So that the next time you see them, it changes the way you interact with them. You see, that's how Jesus says you do these things and it will come back to you. It will come back to bite you. You uh, judge and you condemn and you criticize. And so much of that is behind the person's back. But it affects your attitude of them. It affects the way you will interact with them the next time. And we might not think it will. We might think, oh, I can put that in a camp and I can compartmentalize. And then when I'm with them, I'll be very gracious. It doesn't work that way. We, uh, you see, the, these things, they are transforming our hearts. I'll admit, I'm the type of person I would rather vent and get it all out. In other words, I criticize and I complain. And uh, Chelsea tells me, don't do that. 
because you're going to affect my opinion of that person the next time I see them. Never about anyone in this room, believe me. This, uh, this is strangers you wouldn't know. And, uh, but we need to be careful and guard our hearts and guard the hearts of those that we know and love so that our relationships can be filled with grace and mercy. A good question to ask ourselves is, is that how you'd want to be treated? And the way I'd like to be treated is I'd like to, for people to assume the best. I'd like people when they, uh, when they meet me or when we, or when we work on something together or, or when we interact or whatever, I'd like people to consider all of my past experiences, my hurts and my joys, my family history pressures that are in my life and my temptations. And all of us have these things. And when we take time to uh, examine our own hearts and then to really get to know someone, it gives us a lot more grace and compassion. Jesus' words here about judging and condemning come on on the heels of verse 36. The verse just preceding this says, be merciful just as your father and your Father is merciful. And if we desire to be treated with mercy, just as God has given us mercy, our challenge is to then to take that and to uh, extend it to others. You see, when we are able to extend mercy to us, it has a way of coming back to us. When you treat others harshly, even behind their backs, it has a way of, of, of coming back to you. That's, it's kind of like a boomerang effect. But uh, Jesus says here, give and it will be given to you. And then he goes on to say, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in other words, there's a ripple effect that when we act a certain way with kindness or, or grace or with harshness and, and criticism towards someone, it comes back to us. Now, as I, um, I already knocked this down, but as I was thinking about this, the word that struck me here is the idea of it being shaken together. And so I've got a, a good can of Diet Pepsi. Diet Pepsi is very innocent, right? Can't get any more innocent than Diet Pepsi. It doesn't have all the sugar of regular Pepsi. So uh, this is meant to be a very innocent thing. And, uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to shake it up, right? Then I'm going to open it, and it's going to go all flowing over my, in my lap. And that's what is being described here. What we do is we shake up our minds and our relationships with some negativity, and then pretty soon we'll open the can, and it'll come all over us. Or the, or the flip side, we shake it up with love and generosity, and we open it up, and it comes pouring out into our lives. And so I just want to challenge you this morning, what do you want to shake up your relationships with? Now, I won't really open it. Or <laughs> Someone really wants new sanctuary carpet, which someday that would be a great thing, but not this week. Um, and, uh, but he, isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't it a beautiful thing what Jesus is saying here? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. 
Now, sometimes we say, I give that person a lot of grace, and they don't seem to ever give grace back to me. You know what? This is a principle from Jesus. The good news is Jesus will always give us grace when we give grace to another. But it is also, most of the time, it is true that when you treat others well, it will be extended back to, to you. And so for us to be, uh, to make a shift here, which is really what we're talking about, is a shift. It is to become like Jesus. That's what Jesus says here when he says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Here again, I think Jesus is telling a joke. What a, what a silly picture it is to see a blind person leading a blind person. They both fall into a pit. But it creates a mental image. How oftentimes do we follow just what the example that everybody else, the blind people that are all around us. So-and-so is criticizing your boss, so what do you do? You criticize the boss too. So-and-so is, uh, is bad-mouthing and gossiping this group of people, just demeaning them as a whole, and so you do the same thing. And, it's, and whatever we call it, peer pressure, but what it is, is it's blind leading the blind. Now, how will we be led out of that? Well, we got to follow someone that has sight. And the person that has sight is Jesus. And so Jesus goes on to say, the student is not above his teacher. In other words, we will never be as perfect as, uh, as Jesus in these, in these ways. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And so we can become more and more like Jesus. Jesus did not judge by first impressions. In fact, if he judged by first impressions, I don't think he would have called a single one of his disciples. Peter himself, uh, we think of Peter as the first person that comes to my mind when I think of the 12 disciples. And he had a big problem with his mouth. He was a, bunch, he was a walking contradiction. He'd say one thing here and do another there. And uh, I would have never chose Peter. Andrew, Peter's brother, was the opposite. Uh, Andrew was completely quiet and behind the scenes. You'd never think he would amount to anything. And yet Jesus didn't judge him by appearances. He chose him to be a part of his group. James and John, two of his other disciples, were given the name Sons of Thunder because they were so aggressive, a couple of hotheads, ambitious and intolerant of others. And yet Jesus chose them. Philip was skeptical and negative. He's the one that when Jesus needed to feed the 5,000, Philip was there and said, Can't be done, Lord. Send him into town. Jesus says, Hang on a second. But Philip was always skeptical and negative. Nathaniel was prejudiced and opinionated. Matthew, the tax collector, was one of the most hated people in the whole country because he worked a job in which he abused innocent people. I would have never chose him. Thomas was weak-minded and depressed and pessimistic. He doubted Jesus and what Jesus could do. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Judas, the son of James, were nobodies. The Bible doesn't even mention their name. Simon the Zealot was a freedom fighter and a terrorist in his day. Now, if you were forming a group of followers, would you choose a terrorist to be in your group? And Judas Iscariot, the treasure, was a thief and a loner. This is the group that Jesus gathered around himself. 
And we think of the barriers that we put up in our lives and say, that person I'll let in and that person I won't let in. Or we think of how someone has done us harm before. Because believe me, the disciples after Jesus chose them did not walk the straight and narrow from then on out. There were many times of disappointment. And yet, uh, and yet Jesus was patient and he was kind and he didn't give up on others. Uh, he taught his disciples to forgive others 70 times 7. In other words, an infinite amount. And uh, he practiced that with him, them. James, Jesus' brother, would later write in James 1.19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And that's what I see a lot of in Jesus' example. Jesus was did a lot of listening, got, in, got to know people, slow to judge them. And so now let's uh, back up and uh, we need to uh, do application. And uh, so in other words, we need to take some time to take the plank out of our own eye and to examine our hearts. And so for application questions, I want to uh, bring up my board and I have not three questions, really just two questions, but three camps. My questions are, uh, what camp do you find yourself in? What group do you find, application group do you find yourself in? And how are you going, what are you going to do now? How are you going to apply this to your life? I think as I have looked at this uh, passage, I see three applications, three groups that, uh, that have different ways of receiving God's word. And uh, the first group, I'll just entitle, I tried to get a bigger marker so that you can read this from the very back. This is my, uh, we'll, we'll try this again. The first is those that are, self-righteous. These are those that have uh, the plank in their eye, those that uh, think too highly of themselves. Oftentimes what we will see is a life that is full of ne a negative spirit, full of criticism towards others. And I wonder how many of us would say that we have some self-righteousness in our lives. The application for us when we think of self-righteousness is simply to repent, to ask God for forgiveness, to examine our own hearts and con to confess our sins. The, and, and I think if we were to be really honest about this, there are many of us that have some seeds of self-righteousness in our hearts. The second, the second group that I see in this passage that we need to be aware of is what we might uh, entitle those that are non-confrontational. Just got it in. Non-confrontational. And I think that that is an application for our lives as well. Because Jesus is not saying here, size someone up and then walk away. He's saying, uh, uh, be open. Don't size someone up, but be open to 
those in our lives that we might be called to enter into their lives. And so the application for those of us that find ourselves to be non-confrontational is simply this, to confront, to go out of our way to talk to someone, to, uh, to go out of our way to enter into their lives. Now, after a time of self-examination, and after a time of, of humbling our own hearts and to recognize that we don't come out of a sense of pride that I'm better than you are, but we come out of a sense of love that we want to care and minister to others. And then the third application group are those that, we, that I might just call those that are defensive. In other words, you've been sized up and you refuse to listen. You've been sized up and you say, don't say that to me, don't judge. But the person comes with humility and the person comes with love. And so the application for us who fall into the camp of defensiveness is to seek to listen, to seek to hear what God might be saying through that person. As I look at this passage, I see that these are three application groups. We can, we can become self-righteous, and that is where we get accused of being a hypocrite with a plank in our eyes. We can become non-confrontational by misunderstanding and misapplying these verses to say, I'm never going to, I'm not going to, what it means to judge some, not judge someone is to never actually enter into the, into the difficulties of what may be going on in our lives. That's a misunderstanding. And then the last one is to become defensive and to say, you don't have any right to say that to me. But God is calling all of us to look at our lives and to uh, say, where is it that I fall? What camp might I be in? And what is God calling me to do? To repent, to confront, to take time to listen. I want to encourage you this week to have a conversation with someone around those th these things. Maybe it's with your growth group. Maybe it's with some friends. But you, this will spark great conversation. Be vulnerable enough to say, you know what, I think I'm in uh, camp one and two, or I'm in camp one and three, or whatever it is. And, uh, and be willing to examine your hearts. That is part of what we do when we take the plank out of our eyes. And that is actually what opens up our hearts to be able to be used by God. This is never easy. It's almost always, unfortunately, it's almost always messy. But we do the best we can by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father God, I recognize that even as I uh, stand up here and preach this sermon, that um, this, is a, this is a difficult one for me. And uh, I ask that you would forgive me when I have been critical or had a negative spirit. And God, as, a, as each of us, uh, help us to recognize what you're calling us to do and to act in obedience, to recognize that there is grace here in this teaching for the relationships in our lives. And help us to receive your teaching with with um, humble hearts that we could be able to apply it to our lives. And God, help us as a church to be able to follow this teaching. 
thank you for the unity and the peace that we have. But so oftentimes in, in many churches, they can, they can become uh, critical. There can become a critical nature among people. And where one person says this person should have done that or whatever, and churches can divide and split over that when it grows. And so God, just protect us from that. Give us your grace uh, uh, to be able to resist that temptation and help us to love one another well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.